Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help overworked CPAs go down to 40 hours and then down to 25 hours without giving up revenue. My name is Geraldine Carter. Today, we're talking about how to make adjustments and reshape your accounting practice in four months or less, and just how quickly you can implement improvement and how it can impact your tax season in a really short amount of time. Before we jump in, let me welcome my guest, Kathy Hayden. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hi, Geraldine. Thanks for having me. Kathy was in Mastermind in the last cohort starting in August of 2023. And before we dig into the questions, give our listeners a sense of who you are, where you are, and what you do. Okay, I am an enrolled agent. I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I took over the tax practice for my dad, who did it for 50 years. And then when he retired, uh, I stepped in. But my background is in data analytics. I'm not a CPA. I'm not an accountant. And we don't do any accounting per se. We are a tax firm. Uh, we do personal income taxes for average Americans. Um, I do a lot of people, just a couple of W-2s or retirees, uh, people with kids. I don't do a lot of small businesses or a lot of rentals. It's really kind of simple tax returns and not monthly accounting. Awesome. I love it. And about how many clients did you inherit from your dad's firm? Uh, 1,200. 1,200? Yeah. And how many people do you have on staff? I have myself, I have a full-time seasonal tax preparer, and I have one, two, three uh, part-time seasonal support staff. And this is not your full-time job, right? It is not. I still have a full-time job as a data analyst, and which I'm hoping to um, kind of go down to part-time on that job. But uh, yeah, I have working full-time. I take some uh, PTO during tax season um, and manage my schedule to you know, be able to do both of these things. So you have a serious work spike, if you will, during tax season that doesn't last the whole year. Absolutely. We are a sprint for 10 weeks and then a trickle for the rest of the year. We have a little bit, you know, IRS letters and, you know, a little few phone calls, but really a trickle compared to just the fire hose that is taxis. <laughs> taxis and fire hose. Got it. Yep. And just for listeners who, um, you may have heard me say this before, but when I interview clients, there's a lot that we talk about throughout Mastermind. So a lot of the questions that I ask Kathy, I may already know the answer to, but certainly some of them I will not. So just know that there's a lot here that I'm pulling out of you for the sake of the interview. So talk to me about where you were last summer. Like tax season was still a good six months away, but you were already thinking ahead. What was on your mind that you were like, hmm, this might be a problem? So the biggest problem I have is just really around pricing you know, what I inherited everything from my, from my dad, 
we had gotten to the point of prices being based on just like the client and what did they pay last year and a little bump. And so things got, had gotten out of whack where, you know, a simple return prepared by me or prepared by my other preparer didn't have the same price and complicated returns were not being charged. There was enough price difference between a simple return and a complicated return. And things were I just, just all out of whack and I couldn't get my head around how to fix the pricing. And I didn't fix it the first year that I took stuff over from my dad because it was the first year. And then we had COVID and then we had changes in tax law. And so that now I'm four years in and it's like, how do I make a significant change on legacy clients that first of all, were legacy for my dad, but now I've also done this for four years and now I need to make a significant change. And how do I do that? Could not get my head around it. Couldn't get your head around it. Like it's just too complicated. There's just too many variables. I can't just raise people 25% across the board because that doesn't make any sense. What did you think about in terms of, I wonder if I could solve it this way that became a dead end and not a solution? One thing I thought about was just sort of raising prices across the board. That wasn't a solution um, because things were were out of alignment. I had to get things back into alignment. The way things always were is that tax repairs had some discretion to set the prices. And so I tried to take that away from her and say, no, I'm the firm owner. I am going to set the prices. And that didn't go very well a year ago because I think mostly because I didn't have a good system in place to how to do that. And I didn't manage the change with her effectively. So when we tried it this year, I talked to her well in advance of tax season. I put better systems in place. So I kind of, uh, that was a, that was a big barrier. You know, the other thing is like, it's like legacy clients. How do you tell somebody that you're raising their price 25%, whatever percent without giving, without adding value? It's like, I, I'm not trying to add value. I'm trying to just get my prices up to where they should have been. How do you tell people that have been seeing your dad for 40 years and he always like would help them in the summer that you're not helping them in the summer for no charge? Like, and the other thing I think is a struggle with the tax business in particular is, you know, people's finances because they're sharing that with you. So how do you do a tax return for somebody where you see that the only thing they have is social security and a pension and they, you know, they really don't have a lot of money. And so now how are you going to you know, raise their prices, which I think is a little bit different than other industries where you don't know the financial situation of people when you give them a bill. Yeah, you're not privy to what their buying power actually is or isn't. Exactly. In most other transactions. In most other transactions, right? You, I mean, we talk a lot about the hamburger analogy, right? If I'm selling hamburgers, a customer comes into my restaurant, I, I don't know how much money they have or don't have. I don't know if they can afford that hamburger or not. But if I've just done their tax return, yeah. I kind of know that they don't have yeah. any extra money. And so all of these put together just kind of created this problem in your head that you're just like, I just don't know how to solve it. There are too many variables, too many things I need to account for. Something, was it like, okay, something's got to give? It was It was absolutely something's got to give because, you know, like I said, I have a day job. And so I was not, I wasn't taking home enough money yeah. to make all of this work worthwhile. Mm-hmm. You ta- you have a very nice phrase that you use about making enough money to live the life that you want to live, doing the work that you want to do for the people you want to do it for. I wasn't meeting those goals. I was working too hard for not enough money to spend all my time at work and not live the life I wanted to. Um, but I knew the potential was there. And so I, I it's either I'm going to make this work and we're going to make these hard changes or I'm going to scale it back down and just work my day job. And I didn't want to do that. 
I just need some help to get this pricing under control. A lot of it was sort of mindset. You know, I mean, I knew I was going to raise prices. I did not need you to tell me to raise prices, right? But it was a little bit of like, how? And it's okay. And understanding the value that we bring. And so it's actually, you know, we talk a lot in Mastermind about by raising prices and serving fewer clients, you can actually give better service to those clients, you know, and so it can actually be a good thing to rate for your clients to raise prices, even though like that's a little bit counterintuitive. Yeah, it totally feels like it sort of feels like you're sticking it to them somehow Yes, by charging them more. But in fact, for the ones who are happy to pay it and willing to pay it, it's better for them because they get what they're looking for and they get a better experience when they buy from you compared to when you're underpriced and overstretched. Yeah, it's hard to do that because so I get how it's counterintuitive because so often as shoppers, we're looking for the best possible price or at least the, uh, the, possible, the most possible value for the least possible price. And we value in some ways, in some cases, the lowest possible price. So we don't want to turn around and give somebody a higher price, even though actually we do. You know, and we've, I always kind of pride myself as, be, as giving like really good service. Like we're already getting really good service for a low price. And now I'm giving them really good service for a higher price. And they're not seeing additional value. They're just seeing a higher price. Right. So good. Okay. So, well, let's find out how we got around it. <laughs> so when we started out, there were a number of challenges that you've mentioned that we needed to address kind of one by one. So when you set about starting to solve it, one of the things that you did was do some comparison shopping just to get a benchmark. And I'm wondering if you can comment on that process and what you saw from doing that process. Yeah, that was a good exercise for me, uh, especially as sort of my data analyst way of thinking. I just had to get some data around some things. So I found the, got the price list for H&R Block in-store, H&R Block online. TurboTax now does a live, like, you know, have a, have a person help you. And then a handful of other accountants who had their um, price list online. Uh, some of them just even being just random people that I found online. Um, but it was, it was interesting because I kept kind of going back to why should I be charging less than H&R Block? I, why we're providing equal and hopefully significantly better, but at least equal service to HR Block. Why should our prices be lower? That really kind of helped me to be able to say, and actually in some cases, I probably still ended up with a little lower prices. I, I used it a lot, but it really helped me to, you know, to benchmark things and compare to uh, those other places. Still think I feel a little bit sort of like this, you know, mom and pop, EA that's not, you know, I'm not a CPA, I, you know, I was like, I'm not a CPA and I don't want to charge fancy CPA prices, but I don't want to go too, you know, we were too, too low in the other direction. Fancy CPA prices. I love it. So you did the benchmarking against H&R Block, TurboTax, et cetera, and some other random people that you found. And having that benchmark gave you something to push off of to be like, okay, this is a standard, you know, here are multiple data points that I can look at and they're reliable and I can say, compared to that, where do I want to be? So you spliced and diced that data a million ways. And one of the things that I remember was, on the one hand, we want to simplify pricing, but I think that that was a bridge too far at the time. And you needed that step of looking at TurboTax H&R Block as a way of sort of validating and checking. And once you saw all that, what decisions did that help you make? That's a really great question because we talked a lot in Mastermind about simplifying, right? And we started off, I remember a conversation early on, it's like, can you put your clients into like 
three buckets? Can you put them into eight buckets? Can you put them in 10 buckets? Like, can you figure out what these buckets are? And I just, I was like, no, I really can't. So we actually went and did a total 180 and did, uh, we ended up with sort of per form pricing and we have been tweaking and tweaking, and tweaking it. We tweaked it yesterday. We tweaked it today. Uh, it's much, it's very, very nuanced. And so we're going to end up with lots of different, I probably will end up with 200 different price points, but the difference is it's based on criteria. So everybody who has the same return with the same criteria will be charged the same amount. And then people who use more, who I'm going to say use more services, but have more forms in their return, have more complexity, there will be a standard charge for those. And so we ended up actually, because of we did perform pricing, we wanted to be really careful about not raising prices on our really low end senior citizens who only have a property tax credit. They really don't even have a federal filing requirement. Like can, how low can we keep those prices? But senior citizens who then also have investment accounts and dividends, like their prices shouldn't be quite so low. So anyway, we ended up with a very, very nuanced uh, invoice calculator to figure it out. And the good thing is, is that by capturing all that information this year, I'm going to know exactly which person had which forms what they were charged, and then maybe next year we'll be able to say, oh, look, all these things fall into really close buckets. Like when we talk about raising prices, like for us, we still, I still feel a big difference between raising somebody's price by $10 or $20 or $20 to $50. Like those are big price jumps, um, which I know to, you know, a fancy CPA, it's like, just call, like that's close enough. Just round it by $20. Like, no, no, we don't do that with our clients. So we had to get really sort of nuanced in order to be able to handle all of that, that we wanted to get to meet all of our goals. It would seem to me like this would go a long way toward addressing the problem of things had gotten out of whack, right? And even though we don't necessarily in the long term want a super complex or complicated pricing structure, in the short term, it was necessary in order to get people back into alignment and sort of charge people the same price for apples and charge people the right price for oranges and charge people the right price for pears and not have all those prices be totally arbitrary and distinct. Okay, so the perform pricing solved the out of a whack, out of alignment problem and made it so that your pricing was consistent across buyers for the thing that they were buying. Yes, and it took the discretion away from the tax preparer to have to figure out what the price should be. It's like, take, yeah, I, I really like the, I like to think of myself as a dentist. I just want to be the dentist. You don't, you know, the dentist doesn't know what the prices are. He says, go talk to my billing department. So I want to just, me and my other tax repair, I want to think of us like dentists. Like, I don't know, go talk to the billing department. And, yeah. And, okay. So it solved two problems, really. It solved the out of alignment, out of whack problem. And it also solved the discrepancy between you and your staff and like, any disagreement that might have been in the way is like you no longer had to have those conversations because now the price is the price is the price and you're both on board that like, here's the formula to figure out the price done. It's no longer a discussion. Yep. And we, we, we because of the way we did our technology and our software, the tax repair now doesn't even know what the price is going to be. It's not in any software that they see. So they don't even know. They literally say it literally have to, has to go to the billing department to go run through the invoice calculator to figure out what the bill is going to be. The tax repair can't see it and know it. It's not in our software. Nice. So As it should be. Exactly. And then what we did, I don't know if I want really to jump ahead, but one of the issues that we really wanted to make sure we didn't cause is people like after you get your tax return done, then I tell you, oh, by the way, your price went way up. 
and then have that uncomfortable conversation in my office. So we spend a lot of time in mastermind, like how are we going to communicate this to clients? And so we ended up sending out, sending out a letter or an email. You know, I told people your prices are going up. Like that was the sentence. And then I put a little words around it, but it was very clear. And then we sent them the pricing sheet. And then we said, if you would like a personal quote to know how your price is being impacted, call or email the office and we'll tell you. Because if people are going to be unhappy about the price, they can be unhappy in their living room and they can decide to come back to us or not. But by the time they're sitting across the desk from me, I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. And I don't want to make my staff member have to have an uncomfortable conversation after the return is prepared, like that's not the time to find out what the price is going to be. Exactly. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to you. And it puts both parties in an uncomfortable situation. Yes. Yeah. And it's best avoided. And like you say, better that they are uncomfortable in their living room in December rather than in your office in April. Exactly. I want to come back to the letters in just a moment, but I want to address, um, because there's two remaining problems because really what you listed was staff, legacy, uh, straight up price increase without adding value, and what we what we call selling from your client's wallet when you know how much money they make or like you're in your in their heads about what you think they will or won't pay. So let's pick up the um, price increase in your perception without adding value. How did all of this solve the increasing prices without necessarily adding value? I mean, I would push back on that, but... I, I get where you're coming from. It, I mean, honestly, that was just a matter of sort of mindset or just being saying, you know, what, we just have to do this. You know, it, it, I still kind of think we raise prices without adding value necessarily to the individual clients, but I kind of just had to be, go, become okay with that. The place that I would sneak in an additional perspective is that by increasing prices and potentially reducing client load that your existing clients are getting a better experience and that is more valuable even though you're not adding services. One other problem we were trying to solve is they're expecting the combo meal when they paid for the a la carte um, <laughs> yes, totally. is really what it, what it was. And yeah. um, to, try, to, to try to make that more clear, we added like a notice assurance protection. You, you can you know purchase that up front. And then if you get a letter from the IRS in the summer, I will take care of it. And if you don't purchase it, then if you get a letter, we'll take care of it, but you're going to pay our hourly rates. Whereas I think there was this unclear, unspoken expectation that, hey, I'm buying by buying tax prep, you're my tax person. And since you're my tax person, I could call you in the summer when the IRS gets, sends me a letter and you'll take care of it. And I could call you when I want to change my withholding and I can call you and you can do all these things for me. It's like, well, yes, if I'm your tax person and you paid for a tax, you know, sort of a tax package, then that would be fine. But you didn't. You paid the a la carte price. You paid the very, very low price that really only is your tax prep. But you didn't know that, right? Because all that was sort of uncommunicated. Um, and things were different when my dad was here because it was his full-time job and he was knocking around in the summer and it, it, didn't, it didn't bug him to kind of do an IRS letter. But but you've got a full-time job. <laughs> I've got a full-time job. Yes. And I have a C-do and I would rather be doing other stuff in the summer. So, um, you know, and I don't, I don't mind doing the work. I just don't like doing work that I don't get paid for. <laughs> yes. Well put. Well put. Okay. So how did we deal? How did this whole situation address the problem of knowing how much your clients make and being aware of how little they made relative to where you sort of felt comfortable with your prices? Well, so we ended up really adding some lower tiers on our low on our really low prices. 
and we split out what I thought was already a low price and split it out into an even lower price and a low price and just tried to really, you know, make some lower, make some lower end tiers, uh, you know, to handle those. To give them an option that was inexpensive for them, but still worthwhile for you. On the edge of worthwhile for me, but at the at the edge of worthwhile. But, but I know, you, like I know how many of those people there are. I, yeah, you know, it's not. We didn't lower the prices for everybody. We it was very targeted, I guess. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you know, we service the clients that, like, when I follow like you and other folks on, you know, text Twitter and other folks online who are really, you know, they're CPAs who are doing accounting and they've got million dollars of revenue and that, you know, and so they a little bit, I don't want to exactly say disparage, but they say, you know what, those low level clients, like, let them go to Vita, let them go to H&R Block. We don't want them. I don't want them. It's like, okay, I, I get that you guys don't want those clients, but those are my people. <laughs> those are the clients that we serve. Um, and so I just want to continue to serve them. And I feel like somebody you know, somebody should serve them. And I don't, and I'm happy to, and happy to do it. And like you say, in proportion with all the rest of my clients and with making a living that, you know, gives me the life that I want to live. So that's where we landed with those. Yeah. At the end of the day, again, it's your business, you get to decide. And the thing is like, just in terms of business model, designing the business model that's going to work for you and for your clients so that you have the revenue that you want, the hours that you want, the flexibility that you want to lead the life you want to live. And is it working with the existing business model? Right. And as long as the answer is yes, then you get to work with whoever you want to work with. There's, yeah, there's no like character judgment or character flaw about any of it. It's like, does your business work for you or not? And if not, then let's solve it. Right. Right. And that's why it's interesting for me to like be part of like the CPA mastermind and other, you know, other things, other online communities that are really geared towards CPAs. And that that's just a different business model than what I have. I have to kind of think about some of the things that I see online about whether or not those things apply to me and my business model, because we do have a slightly different business model and than what those those folks have. I think at the end of the day, there's like I said earlier, there's no right or wrong about who you want to serve. It's have you designed, are you building your business in a way that works for you? And the principles apply whether you're at seven figures or eight figures or six figures or five figures. And thinking about leverage in your business and systematization and standardization, all these things and identifying your client, your niche and your target market and who you want to serve and dialing in on efficiency all those things apply regardless of who you serve. So I'm heartened to hear that even at the, in air quotes, small fish level of the orphan 1040s, if you will, that nobody else wants to touch, that you, like, that given these same principles, it works for you. It does. Okay, let's go over to the pricing letters because everybody wants to know. Everyone freaks out, right? When we send out price increase, price increase letters, that half of your clients are going to head for the hills. So um, talk to me about... <laughs> the process when you're putting together the letter and breaking it down into batches and how many letters are going to go out this week and waiting for the response and all that. Like, tell us what happened. Okay. So I don't exactly, I did not send out letters in batches and get responses or ask for a response at all. I just, we always send out a letter in January. So I sent out a letter in January and it's like, well, when the phone rings, that's going to be my response. We'll find out. One batch I did do a little bit early, I did in December, was my Schedule C clients, because I do have about 115 of those. And I sent them a letter and I said, and it said, hey, we're going to take your tax prep fee and we're going to break it up. And so you'll see the business part and you'll see the personal part, because the business part you can deduct on your taxes. So you should know that. 
And so your personal part, you know, will be see the see and close price flyer and the business part, the prices are going up and it's going to be tiered based on your expenses. But the highest price for the schedule C part was going to be 220, 225, I think is where we landed. Well, I think, you know, before we were doing schedule C people where the the whole thing return was 250 or 275 or maybe 300. And it's like, oh, no, no, the personal part's going to be like two and a quarter and the business part might be up to two and a quarter. So, you know, you're thinking more like your price is going from like 275 to 450. So anyway, we tried to split that, tried to split that out. Um, and then I sent them a nice little organizer. So I tried to add a little value to them that way. As far as the price increase letter, I actually divided it into two batches. People who I thought the increase was significant and people who I thought the increase wasn't as significant. The people where it was a significant increase, it said, Your, you know, prices are going up. And then I should find, I had a nice little phrase you helped me put together of in order to serve you, definitely headlines of in order to serve you better, prices are going up. And then I did send them a flyer with it, the basic, the, like the base price and then the price of certain key form, you know, forms that are pretty common. And then I said, if you want to quote, call the office and we'll tell you how much it's going to be. Uh, and then this, I did a second batch where the price, I thought the price increase was a lot more kind of reasonable and it just said it didn't sort of emphasize prices are going up it just said but it did say we are adjusting i use the word adjusting we are adjusting our pricing model or pricing structure um or adjusting our prices something like that um and, you know you might see a difference here's the pricing flyer and call office if you want a individual price quote and you've seen some results from that, right? You said earlier that the hens haven't fully come home to roost yet. You know, the phone's ringing. People are scheduling their appointments. Um, I had one, you know, I had one lady who wanted a price quote and I sent her a note back and her price was going up, I think from, I think it was going up from 275 to 340. And she sent me an email back and she said, that is a big increase. Please schedule my appointment. Okay. And I had one other client who you know, emailed me back and said that price increase is too high. And I said, okay, have a nice day. If you ever need us, you know where to find us. And I, other than that, like the phone's ringing and people are coming in and we'll see, you know, it's too soon to tell, but it feels like people are calling like they always in the same rate they always have. Okay. So it's not like 75% of your clients have just evaporated. Oh, well, I don't know yet. Cause I wouldn't, cause I don't know. Cause I didn't, I didn't say like, Hey, tell me in the next 10 days, if you're coming back or not coming back. I just said, this is, you know, we always send a letter in January. We just send a letter in January and people always call and, you know, we do in-person appointments. We probably do 75% in-person appointments and people call and say, Hey, can I get an appointment next week? So, you know, all through taxis and they're like, you know, they just schedule a week and week or so out. So I really feel like I won't know until like, I won't really know until probably tax season's over, but I won't know even until we get a couple weeks into it. Like, how it's feeling. I start seeing people in the office and start handing them a bill and seeing what they say. So I, I don't know at this point. I don't know. Yet you don't seem worried. I'm not worried. Why not? I'm not worried because I know that our prices are fair and they're in alignment with our competitors. People want to go shop around. They're going to find that we're our price fairly. And I, I have just got comfortable with the idea that we are going to lose some clients. So when a client, like up until last year, especially my other staff member, but also me, it's like when people would say, I'm not coming back or they won't come back, you get all like freaked out. Like, oh, 
why didn't this person come back? We've been doing their taxes for 40 years. What happened? We scared them away because of the price and that's bad. It's like, no, it's not bad. It's just, it just is. It's neutral, right? We talk about that in the mindset, right? That event is just neutral. Whether they come back or not, or not is a neutral event. And so I just know that some people aren't going to come back and that's going to be okay. I think in December, you said something like there were a few people had signed up for your silver package at 650. Yeah, when we first, so I never would have like done packages at all because I just, you know, I just do tax prep. And when we first started Mastermind, you know, I said, I, there's nobody's ever going to pay me $500 to do their taxes. I just, that's not the kinds of returns that I do. Like that's a giant number that no, like I laughed, not going to happen. It was hard for me to figure out like what to put into a package because, you know, I just do their tax returns and that's about all, right? I struggled to figure out like what things would go into a package. So I ended up, I did end up coming up with like a, my bronze package, I just call my compliance package. I'm just going to do your tax return and the perform pricing. And then a collaboration package for like people who have like a schedule C or people who want to do like more retirement planning. And then a concierge package, which honestly, can I just say is out there just to be a big number to get people to kind of think about buying the collaboration package. Yeah. So the collaboration package is $650. I offered it. I, I don't have, I kind of feel like I'm piloting it. I don't have a good, like, I'm not offering it to everybody. I'm only offering it to people I want to work with like as needed on a verbal, you know, kind of basis. So I have so far offered it to four people and had four people sign up for it. And that it's just shocking to me. I was so surprised um, that anybody would want to pay that. But then they get access to me in the summer. I'll help them with their estimates. You know, they can, I could be their tax professional, like, you know, what they want. They can call if they need to plan and stuff. So, yeah, but it was, I never, and that is something like, I think without Mastermind, I would have raised my prices this year. That was going to happen. But I never would have gone to a collaboration or any kind of package that would have been $650. That never would have happened without Mastermind. So what do you think, sort of in retrospect, even though you're not through tax season and we don't know the exact details of the results and how it's all going to shake out in the end, but what do you think the overall impact either has been or is going to be? The overall impact is that I and my other staff members should not have to think so much about pricing. This has been, I mean, I have been thinking about pricing for four years, like nonstop for four years. It's been on my mind of how do I solve this problem? And so I'm hoping that once it's like solved and then we just have to work the work it, you know, working the plan is a whole different thing than planning the work. If we just have to work the plan and I don't have to think about pricing that is going to be a huge load off my mind. And then guess what? I can think about other things like systems and standards and taxes and that kind of, you know, doing stuff. So that's a huge thing for me is just to not have to chew on this and think about it anymore. Oh, just get it off your mind and not have it be this preoccupying force. Get it solved and be done. Okay. So last question before we wrap up, if you had to ballpark, best guess, where do you think your revenue is going to come in? I know we don't have the data yet, of course, but do you suspect it's going to be flatline or a little bit down or a little bit up or a lot bit down or a lot bit up? What's your best guess? I think it's going to be up and I think it's going to be up about 10%. Nice. What do you think will be the nature of the work? Do you think it will be more work, less work, about the same amount of work, same amount of work, but easier? Like how's, how does it feel? I think it's going to be the same amount of work. I think I I think that whatever clients I lose will be replaced by new clients. 
well, I guess I'm thinking about the same amount of work, roughly, and about 10% increase in revenue. We love that. Less work, more revenue. Same work, more revenue is also just as good. And I think it's going to be more, con- it's going to be more controlled. It's going to be more planned and I have more information so I can make better decisions. It's really going to tee me up. Like this year is all about teeing me up for future years. It was almost like you needed to go through this year to get things sorted out, handled, organized so that you could get in position in 2025 to have it be the way that you actually wanted. That's exactly right. It's not uncommon for it to take two cycles. I mean, it's a bummer that tax season's almost, almost well, <laughs> this is sort of laughable. The tax season, it's a bummer that tax seasons only come around once a year. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, bummer. <laughs> but in terms of pricing experimentation, it's a really long elapsed time of iteration in order to make the adjustments that you want to make based on what you learn. It just, there's a long elapsed time for that to happen. Right. And the, like, you know, you talk to like people who do like monthly accounting and stuff and you talked about like, you know, send your letters out and then ask for a response, do stuff in batches. It's like, I can't, I have like, I got one, I feel like I've got one bite at the apple. Like this is it. This is my tax, you know, and this is going to be it for tax season, you know, for this year. And then, you know, I can regroup for, for next year, but I don't for myself and the way I do did things, I didn't, feel like I had a lot of, like you say, a lot of iterations or chances to to refine things. You go with what you have and you solve it in the best way that you can with what you're given. Yep. And then you do it a little better next year. Exactly. This has been so great to have you on. I know that a lot of people struggle with these exact same kinds of challenges. Staff who have opinions about pricing, legacy clients, clients who you know can't afford a ton, and you know, just raising your prices without seeming justification. So I'm sure that this will have been super valuable for a lot of listeners. Kathy Hayden, thank you so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.